0: The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. Good morning. All right. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at our next example of uh courageous faith, a guy by the name of Peter. Uh, it's been a great week for me uh, getting to dive into this. You know, when uh, Jeff asked me to do this back in the wintertime. I was thinking, oh, Peter, that'd be awesome. You know, I can't, don't have any uh, lack of material, that's for sure. But as I thought about it, as I've been preparing, I thought there's really two uh, ways I could go on this, and both of them have problems. Uh, the first one is, is that I could just do a very systematic uh, retelling of Peter's life, uh, capturing all of the uh, major uh, stories about Peter throughout the Gospels and even into the, uh, through the writings of Paul, But that would take about a semester to get through. There's just a ton of material on Peter. The other uh, side of this is that I could just cherry pick certain stories out of that and I thought, well then somebody's going to be upset that I missed their favorite Peter story. But as I was going through it, one thing that uh, kind of just hit me right in the face was just how uh, much Peter's life was shaped for the ministry that he did. And so I'm going to this morning focus uh, pretty much um, cherry-picking stories that tell about Peter's faith walk, how he became the man uh, that he ended up being. As people have asked me this week, uh, I see people around church, and they notice that I'm on the preaching schedule, and they'll say, uh, what are you preaching on, Dave? And I'll say, well, Peter. And I say, oh, Peter. And invariably, the first thing out of their mouth is something negative. You know, oh, Peter, yeah, the the foot-shaped mouth, uh, you know, the man who's too braggadocious for his own good, Uh, Peter who is just uh, constantly failing, Uh, Peter the one that gives the 12 a bad name and so forth. But then almost immediately with every person that I talked with, uh, they would say something like, he's just like me. I can really relate to him. And I think that's what we're going to see this morning as we go through this. Uh, Peter's a hard guy to get a hold of. Uh, as we look at the uh, list of the apostles in the New Testament, uh, that found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then the Book of Acts, uh, Peter is always the first one mentioned. He's the leader of the apostles. Um, he has a lot of things that are put on his plate. He becomes eventually the head of the early church, and yet his process from getting from the Sea of Galilee, where he was a fisherman. To the head of the church is an amazing uh, story. Uh, I think it's best uh, summed up by a quote from John MacArthur's book, Seven Ordinary Men. And uh, he says this, excuse me, 12 Ordinary Men. He says, Peter's name is mentioned in the Gospels more than any other name except Jesus. No one speaks as often as Peter, and no one is spoken to by the Lord as often as Peter. No disciple is so frequently rebuked by the Lord as Peter, and no disciple ever rebukes the Lord except Peter. No one else confessed Christ more boldly or acknowledged his lordship more explicitly, yet no other disciple ever verbally denied Christ as forcefully or as publicly as Peter did. No one is praised and blessed by Christ the way Peter was Yet Peter was also the only one Christ ever addressed as Satan. The Lord had harsher things to say to Peter than he said to any of the others. So Peter has these amazing things, these faith steps that he takes, but often they're followed by a moment of crisis, a moment, I won't use the word of failure, but I will just say of learning. Moments where it just becomes almost impossible for him to escape what his Lord is trying to say to him. So we have a very complex man before us this morning. One not easily encapsulated in uh, how we usually think of people. We can't just uh, affix a label to Peter and say, this is he. Uh, What we have to understand, though, is that there is no one as important as Peter in the New Testament pages except for Jesus Christ himself. It's almost impossible to overestimate how important Peter was to that early church. When you read through the church fathers in that next century after the 12 apostles were doing their ministry, Peter's name, almost more than Paul's, comes up over and over and over. Peter was seen as the rock that he was supposed to be. He led that church. He was the man. Um, he's worth our study. He's worth our contemplation this morning. So what went into making Peter the man that he is? Um, I'm going to just kind of brush through some of these things, but uh, I start off by saying behind every godly man. And we might want to answer that with lies a godly woman. And you would not be wrong this morning. But it takes more than just that. Let's take a look at a few of the things that the Lord used to shape Peter. First of all, Peter is the disciple of John the Baptist. Most assuredly, he and his brother Andrew and their uh, shipping or fishing uh, partners, James and John, were all followers of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was out in the countryside, this hairy man wearing a hairskin suit. The man who uh, looked like an Old Testament prophet brought to life is out proclaiming repentance and the coming of the kingdom of God. All the words that the uh, devout Jewish person would have wanted to hear. And Peter and Andrew and James and John were no different than anyone else. Hundreds of people were leaving and going out into the countryside To hear this amazing man speak, of all those that came to hear him speak, there were a select few that became part of John the Baptist's Havarim, his, his group of young men that followed him and listened to him and were wanting to be a part of what he was doing. And most assuredly, Peter was one of those men. What did this do for his life? It allowed him to have a bedrock foundation for what was about to come. So he was shaped by John the Baptist. He was also shaped by Andrew, his brother. In fact, Andrew is the first of all the 12 that Jesus calls to himself. Andrew is the brother to uh, Peter. And at this time, uh, Peter's name would have been Simon, as we see it in Scripture. In John chapter 1, we're told that Jesus called to Andrew, and then Andrew went and found his brother. And said, this is it. I found the guy. Do You remember John the Baptist was telling us in his sermons? that there was one coming, somebody that would come and is the Messiah, and he would bring with him the kingdom of God, and Israel would be changed forever? I have found him. And Peter came with him, along with the rest of their fishing company. But the thing that makes it so interesting about Andrew, and the thing that I love about Andrew, is we don't really know a whole lot about Andrew. He's kind of one of the silent guys of Scripture. Uh, He has a few stories here and there. But he's always kind of a behind-the-scenes kind of guy. Uh, He's the one who recognizes that the boy has some fish and some loaves when they need to feed people. He's the one that Jesus uh, more or less just allows to kind of manage things, but he doesn't really get up in front and do ministry. Uh, I love this. Uh, Andrew's the kind of guy that almost all of us have in our life, Uh, especially those of us who do ministry in public. We can point to somebody. Billy Graham has his Andrew the man that first shared his faith with him. John Piper has his Andrew, the man that encouraged him and and instructed him on how to go back and to explore the church fathers and bring those nuggets of truth, those golden messages that he finds and bring them forth for our generation so that we can be edified and taught. I had an Andrew. uh, My brother, very literally my brother, uh, was the first in our family to know Christ. And he came, once he understood the truth of that, he came and told me. Now, my brother's a quiet man. Um, He's not one to preach or teach. I doubt if you've been to one of his Bible studies, because he doesn't lead Bible studies. But he is excellent at sharing his faith, at telling others, come and see my Lord. Come and see who he is. The one that has been promised is here. And that night when he came home to our home, and he told me those very words, uh, it turned my life around forever. Simon Peter has his life turned upside down because of Andrew. Andrew is shaping the man that he will be. We don't give enough uh, claps. We don't give enough kudos to the people that are the Andrews in our lives. People that just silently come alongside of us. They pour into our life. They lead us into things, and then we go off from there. They are our catalyst to ministry, and that's what happens here. It's interesting to note, too, in this calling of Peter that he also is given a new name by the Lord. Uh, His real name is Simon. Simon and Andrew grew up in Bethsaida, uh, right there at the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. Eventually, uh, they, and I'm sure their father, who they worked for, uh, John or Jonah, uh, would move to Capernaum, and that's where their fishing business really took off. But at least initially, uh, Peter's name was Simon. But when the Lord came along... He, he just renames him. There's power in that nickname. There's power in the changing of a name. We see the same thing happen with Saul on the road to Damascus. When the Lord confronts this earnest rabbi, this devotee of the temple, uh, Jesus just hits him, and he says, hey, why are you persecuting me? And in that period of discipleship, he gives him a new name, Paul. Well, for Simon, it's Peter. For Saul, it's Paul. Paul. And these, two will lead God's church forward. Uh, The book of Revelation tells us that all of us who are saints of God have a name, a hidden name that Jesus has prepared for us. In that naming, there is power. There is demonstration of respect and of mission. It's interesting, as we read the pages of the New Testament, especially of the Gospels, most often when Jesus is referencing uh, Peter at one of the low moments in his life, he is Simon, or Simon Peter, and when Peter's doing something that took faith and he's doing something that really goes beyond and above, he is Peter. He becomes that rock. I think the Lord uses these names and interchanges them when Peter just needs that kick, that movement. Now, yeah, let's get back with it, Peter. Uh, let's, let's, let's forget who we were. We're no longer Simon in that old life. You are now Peter. So Peter was shaped by John the Baptist. He's shaped by his brother Andrew. He's even shaped by that process of coming to know the Lord and given a new name. But he's also a family man. Um, we know this because Jesus at one point heals his mother-in-law. So we know that in Capernaum, at least, Peter had a house. It was a house that was a focal point of a lot of the ministry that went on in that phase of Jesus' life. Uh, great things were done there. Uh, people were healed Uh, demons were cast out, many came to hear the proclamation of the word and its truth from Jesus' very lips. Uh, Peter's home becomes uh, something of a hub, maybe even the first church. And if today you were to go visit uh, in this region of the country, on that north shore of Galilee, you would see the the remains of a church that was built on top of where Peter's home used to be. Uh, That's how important the early church thought of Peter. That was the place to be. And Peter's wife, we're never given her name, but he most assuredly had one because he had a mother-in-law. But also in First Corinthians, Paul says this, that even though he's single, he was saying, how would you want me, what style of ministry should I do? I cannot travel about like Cephas, and Cephas, of course, would be Peter, Cephas being the Aramaic of, of uh, Simon. He says, I can't be like Cephas and the other apostles who are bringing their wives with them on this ministry. Uh, This must have been an incredible woman. (laughs) You know, she must have been patient, enduring. She must have been able to deal with her husband's ups and downs. Can you imagine the change in their lives? She thought she was marrying a fisherman. A very common practice in that part of the world and in that time. But instead, just like with her husband, her life would be changed upside down. It's a magnificent story that one of the early church fathers, Clement, tells of this woman. When Peter is arrested for the last time, And the emperor uh, decides to uh, sentence him to crucifixion. He's going to die. He says to Peter, first, you're going to watch your wife die. She will be crucified in front of you. And rather than discouraging either one of them, all, all we're told is that Peter says to her, believe in Jesus. Just as a word of encouragement, believe. And I'm sure at that moment, they both were thinking back to the first time they saw that Galilean friend walking down the trail in those sandals and how their lives changed in ways that they could never have appreciated. And not long after Peter saw his wife crucified, he himself was crucified, though at his request, according to church history, upside down, because he did not want to imitate his Lord. He did not want to even be seen as being in the same category as Jesus. But yet Peter was shaped by his family. He did not forsake them. He was an older man. He was probably a guy that, you know, besides having a family, had been... uh, planning on just taking over the family business, but all of a sudden God comes into his life, and through John the Baptist, through his brother Andrew, and through uh, many circumstances, especially with his family, Peter becomes the man that we see before us in the pages of Scripture. Who's shaping your life this morning? Who's speaking into your life as a believer? If you know Jesus as your Savior, God sends someone. He doesn't forget any of us. He is sending people into your life to make you into the person that you are, to challenge you from where you're at to where you might be, to move you along on that pathway of discipleship to where you, like Peter, become a disciple maker. I I picked out three. Now here I'm going to cherry pick some stories. I picked out three uh, things that I thought were really shapers of this man. Okay, so we have him. He's been one of the called. He's one of those that is going to go out and be obedient to Christ. But it's not over there. You see, sometimes we get too into TV and movies. We tend to think of people's life stories as a series of successive steps. Well, uh, he did this, then he understood that, and then this happened, and then this happened. But in fact, reality is for almost all of us, and this is why we identify with Peter, is that our faith walk is more like up, and then we take a couple steps down, three steps up, maybe one step down, and we're just always... Constantly struggling to try to keep that, that even keel. Peter wasn't very interested in staying even. He wanted more. He wanted something greater. And I think we're going to get a picture of why that is, maybe where Peter begins to, you know, go on a higher trajectory than many of us. If we look in 2 Peter chapter 1, we have testimony to an amazing thing that happened. This is Peter as an older man writing this epistle to the church, and he says, For we did not follow, this is verse uh, 16, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses, we were there, of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased Uh, We ourselves, again, we were there, heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention. Uh, Peter's saying this, and you remember this story, perhaps, at the transfiguration, as it's often referred to, uh, Jesus is taking his inner group of guys, Peter, James, and John, almost always there with him. These are the men that spend most of the time with Jesus out of the twelve. And he takes them up to a mountain without warning, without really telling them or preparing them for what is coming. And there, God, just for the moment, reveals who Jesus was in his pre-incarnate state. Jesus is a member of the Trinity. He's a member of the Godhead. And at that moment, Peter's words, you, you can sense even in this description in 2nd Peter, they fail him. He says, majestic glory. He sees something which no one besides those three had seen before, or have seen since, and it changed his life forever. I think when that happened, and, you know, and we and back in the gospel story, you have Peter saying, "Oh Lord, this is wonderful. Let us prepare a booth. We'll do something. We'll make this so this stays permanent." And that that's the gist of what his comment is. It's not so much that he thinks that he can, you know, uh, encapsulate God in a man-made structure. It's that he doesn't want it to disappear. Much like Moses, when he gets into the presence of God and he has a glow on his face. Oh man, what, what an amazing experience that had to have been. And Peter sees this. He sees something that he knows is a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And it changes him forever. And he says, because of this, <laughs> you know, I, I, I live my life for him. Now, you may not have seen God revealed to you that way but I think that God does a transfiguration in our lives, at least once, and for some of us many times, where he reveals himself in a way that we have never seen before. It was an amazing experience for Peter, and it forever changed him. So that when that time of crucifixion came, he had no problem in letting his wife go before him. He had no problem in following her. What else is there to live for? What else would there be to die for but my Lord. Second thing that I see that really changes Peter is this opportunity after this. And this is one of those low moments in Peter's life we find in John chapter 21. That last chapter of John, uh, some people see that as an epilogue or an appendix to the gospel, but it really has an amazing story. You, if you, just to catch you up a little bit, Jesus has been crucified, uh, he has risen from the dead, he has appeared to the, the twelve, including Peter, he has appeared to all the others, and uh, he has ascended to heaven. And now, what are these 12 supposed to do? What is Peter supposed to do? And what does he do? He runs. He's already, you know, denied his Lord three times. Every appearance with Jesus, even though he saw him, had to be horribly uncomfortable for him. Because the last time that Peter really saw him in his human form, he had denied ever knowing him. After, I'm sure, the words that he had spoken about how much he was devoted to God and how he was going to live his life for Christ and so forth, must have just resonated in his heart right along with, no, I don't know him. And I have nothing to do with him. I'm not a part of them. And so he goes back to what he knows best. And don't we do the same thing? When we run into an emotional or faith crisis, we go to where we're most comfortable. We kind of self-medicate. Oh, I'm going to go back, Peter says, and I'm going to just fish. I'm gonna take my wife, my family. You know, maybe my dad was right. This following this guy was just crazy. You know, this is just was a phase of my life. Uh, when I decided to go into the ministry, I had to tell my family that I was thinking of going to a Bible college, and they had not ever heard of such a place, um, or if they had, they just had ignored it. But I remember one of my uncles took me aside and said, "Dave, this is just a phase of your life." Uh, in other words, you have greater promise than this. You can do something better. Don't ruin your life and cast it away by taking this path. This is insane. Peter probably heard that from others, too. He probably heard that from his dad. He probably heard that from people back in Capernaum or his hometown. And so he finds himself back there fishing, along with the other guys. Remember, Peter was a leader. So where he went, at least James and John were going to go. And so, so the rest of them kind of trailed along. But then the miraculous thing happens that we're focusing our attention on a stranger on the shoreline tells them after a fruitless night of fishing to just cast their net on the other side of the boat 153 fish just miraculously come up to the surface and swim into their nets and almost instantly Simon recognizes I've been here before I've, I've seen this happen before it, could that is that him and then it says that Simon or Peter jumps off the boat and starts swimming to shore. I'm still not sure if he's going to swim away from Jesus or towards him. But when he gets there and they have their time together, Jesus challenges him. And this is the point here. He says to him, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, You know I love you, Jesus. Then feed my sheep. And he goes through this three times Peter, do you love me? Well, of course, you know I do then feed my sheep Peter do you love me then feed my sheep I don't think it's any coincidence that these three challenging questions do you love me follow Peter's three denials I don't know him do you love me I don't know anything about him do you love me I have nothing to do with them do you love me Peter's life is set yeah I do love you Lord He is repentant of his failing. We have to go through that. There are times when God has called us, clearly called us to do something. The Spirit has spoken to us. We have felt the conviction of God in our lives. And we have made decisions that have forever changed who we're going to be before the Lord. We've made decisions that get in the way of what God wanted to do in our lives. And sometimes you get to older age, (laughs) my age. You get into your 50s, you get into your 60s, and you think, man, I blew it. I clearly remember as a new believer I was at somewhere and God was calling, and I, I went forward and I told someone that I was going to give my life to missions or I was going to be a soul winner or I was going to do something that would serve God. And here it is 20, 30 years later. And we're just like everyone else. Peter wasn't going to let that happen. Jesus wasn't going to let that happen. And Peter took this moment that was op- offered to him to repent, to be restored and to be recommissioned, and off he went. And then the last thing that we see here in Acts chapter 2 that really shapes Peter's life, of course, is the familiar story of Pentecost. The apostles are now gathered again back in the upper room in Jerusalem, where they should have stayed in the first place, and they're just waiting. They don't know really what for, but they're waiting. And Then it says it happens in chapter 2. It says there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and then What seemed to be tongues of fire just appeared on their heads. And instantly, the Holy Spirit filled them with power, with everything that they needed to do the great commission that Jesus has set before them. Peter before this event, Peter after this event. Peter before this event, constantly screwing up, constantly losing his way, not understanding what real faith looked like. Peter after this event, he's standing out on the temple steps. Now, you remember where that is. This is a dangerous place. This is really close to the courtyard where Peter had just denied Christ not more than a few weeks ago. Now he's going to stand on the very temple steps within the hearing, within the shadow of the power structure that had crucified Jesus in a most horrible way. And this man who had been so full of fear now preaches a sermon that will never be forgotten, that forever will be encapsulated in the pages of Scripture. It's an amazing message if you read through that. And at the end of that message, many, many, many people give their lives to Christ. Peter discovers that it's not just about him and about what he can do as a fisherman, but that the fact is God has given him some new gifts, some new ways of expressing his belief. God does the same for us. As we look at this, we want to keep in mind a a couple things um, as I kind of close this off. What, What do we see in Peter's life? that really makes a difference. If, this, if these movements have been shaping him, his, his time with John the Baptist, you know, his time with his family, his brother Andrew, uh, these seminal moments in his life where he is commissioned and he's going, we also want to look at the fact that Peter had some things that happened in his life that really speak to us as 21st century believers. And I just picked some of these, um, but I think they're the ones that are most germane to what we're doing today. Uh, first of all, we're going to look at this. In Matthew uh, chapter 14, we have the story of Peter jumping out of a boat. Many of us are familiar with this, but I'm going to read it anyway, beginning in verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. That's Jesus is making them do this. While he dismissed the crowds. And after Jesus had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he found himself alone. But the boat by this time, full of his apostles, was a long way from the uh, sand, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. So somewhat of a minor storm is coming. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And, of course, who speaks up? Peter, answering him, says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, very simply, come. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt Now, we use this story quite often, even in Sunday school with little children, as an example of someone who doesn't count the cost before they make a step of faith, or someone who fails at their commission. However, I want to look at it a little bit different this morning. I think this demonstrates Peter's faith. The question to ask here is not really why did Peter get out of the boat, but really why did the other 11 stay in the boat? Notice that when Peter is thinking about this, all he needs to have is an assurance from Jesus that he is supposed to come. He was not disobedient in getting out of that boat. We know that God is not capable of doing evil. Jesus would never encourage any of us to sin. So when Peter asks him, can I come out there? Jesus said, sure, come on in. The water's fine. And so Peter jumps out of this fishing boat. And by the way, I hope that you can appreciate the fact that these are fishermen. These are not just some namby-pamby office workers, all right? These are people that have been out on that Sea of Galilee every day since they were little kids, and if they're afraid in that boat of what's happening on the water, you and I would be terrified, all right? This took some supreme courage. In fact, it took supreme faith for Peter to step out of there. The reason the other 11 didn't get out of the boat because in their minds this was suicide. Even seeing Jesus walking out there in front of them that was not enough to get them to move. But Peter, he took the moment for what it was. And what we have to focus on is where was Peter when he began to sink? He was on the water. You realize this, that only Jesus and Peter are the only two that have ever walked on water. I don't know what that was like. If it was like on top of the waves, if he was like a foot down in the water on something that felt somewhat solid, Uh, we have no idea. But he was out there and he was doing it. Too often we wonder, why isn't God doing anything on my behalf, despite our best efforts at prayer, living righteously? I just I've gotten discouraged. I, I sometimes I even wonder if there is a God, because He doesn't ever do anything fantastic for me. However, it is the step of faith that reveals God's power in our lives. Uh, we love to come hear missionaries talk sometimes and to share because it seems that the missionaries they're the ones that see God do some of these amazing things, these people of God. And here's the point here that Peter learned. You can't see God's power from inside the boat. It just doesn't happen that way. God waits until we take that step of faith. Has Jesus called you at any point in your life? Is he saying, come? Are you willing to take that step of faith? It's not one of those things that you can just stay in your comfort zone. You can't just be where you're at where you just feel like, oh, everything's fine. And if God shows me, if he demonstrates to me that it's safe, then I'm going to go ahead and just step out. No, you just step out. You take that leap of faith. The crazy thing is, I'm sure that the guys in the boat were yelling at Peter saying, are you crazy? Simon, and they probably used that name. Simon, get back in here. Are you nuts? People were probably grabbing at his uh, garments and trying to hold him back. How much like that is that in our life, in our faith? When we're ready and we're convinced we're going to take this step of faith, it's not the world, it's not the non-Christians that are pushing on us and pushing us back in that boat. It's those that we love the most that often are impeding us, that are grabbing at us and saying, no, 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 stay right here. Because they know, even if we don't, that this step of faith is going to change not only my life, but it's going to change their life. I already mentioned how his wife thought that she was just marrying a a fisherman. Simple guy. But God had other plans. God may have other plans for you this morning. I don't know what God's calling you to. But just don't let those that you think love you the most in your life pull you back or keep you from doing what God is asking you to do. Don't miss those moments where your life could have gone this way or that way. It's a matter of faith. Second story that I love in Peter's life is found in John 13, um, and I'll switch over there and read that in verses 4 through 10. And this, of course, is at the time of the Feast of Passover. It's in the Passion Week. And Jesus has his, his greatest friends, those that he loves the most, these young men that have been following him. And he says that they break bread and do all that kind of stuff. By the time you get to verse 4, it says he r- rose from supper... He laid aside his outer garments, that's he, Jesus, taking a towel, tied it around his waist, poured water onto a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have to no share with me. Simon Peter then says to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. The story is simple. Uh, Jesus has broken bread. They've they've drunk from the cup together. Uh, Jesus, they know, is going to die. At least he's going to be arrested. But by his own testimony, Jesus is going to die. It's a frightening moment in the life of these men who have invested so much in their God. But then most unexpectedly, Jesus gets up and he prepares a basin. And he gets to Peter and he picks up his, his dusty feet. He takes that sandal off and then he's going to wash his feet. They could have dust on them. It could have fecal matter. Whatever was on the streets of Jerusalem were on these feet. And Peter was embarrassed. This is incredibly humbling, God. I can't have you washing my feet. It should be the other way around. Jesus demonstrated to Peter right there what it meant for servant leadership, servant love. And he says, Peter, if you don't let me do this, you don't understand me. You still don't get it. Now, like a light bulb that goes on in Peter's head he goes, are you for real? <laughs> you know, if this is what it's going to take, hey, don't stop him by foot. You know, let's go up the calf, the thigh, do my whole torso, do my head, wash my hair, I'm in it, Jesus. I'm 100% with you. That's what Jesus demands. Uh, too often in our Christian life, we try to just give him a toe. You, know, you can have that. I don't need it. You can have my little finger. I'll just give this much to God. I'll just be this much for Christ. But Peter says what we should all be thinking in our hearts. God, if you want my foot, you can have it all. I'm totally yours, 100%. It's all about you. I'm going to just buzz through here because I know I'm I'm hitting over time here. Third one was just this, is that Peter is being corrected by Paul. In the book of Galatians chapter 2, Peter's already, we're, we're zooming ahead in the gospel story. Jesus has come and gone, and now they're out doing ministry. And Peter has an opportunity to just affirm the Gentiles that have been coming to know Christ through the ministry of Paul. And so he has a chance to speak and to teach them, and he's eating dinner with them. But then some men arrive who were Jewish, who believed that the old way was the good way, and that Peter had no business breaking bread with these Gentiles. So Peter allowed himself to be coward into separating from the Gentiles. It's it's a tough deal. But I think what happens here is when Paul rebukes Peter and reminds him of what their commission is, Peter demonstrates great humility. If from the boat he demonstrates his faith and through the foot washing his heart, here Peter demonstrates how humble he is. And I think that we have to understand it's not just about what we know and what we've done in Christ. It's sometimes about being with those younger believers. We can never be too proud to learn from those who are newer in the faith than we Paul was new compared to Peter, and yet Paul had to rebuke him. And Peter, in his humility, accepted it, and he made changes. How many times do we get used to church? We think of church as something we go to all the time. We're there every week. Some of us have been here for years and generations in the past, and we miss the boat because we're not listening. We're not seeing what God is doing around us in our culture with those in the church that are new. And we tend to put kind of a squash on top of them, The greatest things that have happened in my life in Christ have often come at the hands of those newest in Christ. And if I'm humble enough to hear what they're saying, I learn an awful lot. Lastly, Peter demonstrates for us from John chapter 6 that he loves his church. The story is of uh, Jesus and the disciples walking along the dusty trail. Jesus has just told everybody why he had come. He had come to die and give his life as a ransom for many. And the people are like, wait a minute, does this mean no more bread? no more free food, no more uh, casting out demons, well, then we're done. And it says that all the people just melted away. And all that's left is Jesus and his 12 kind of walking along a path. And Jesus says, you're not going to leave me also? And Peter turns and says those words that would just be his identity for the rest of his life. Lord, where else would we go for the words of life? Jesus had a passion for his church. I was just at a wedding yesterday. In Ephesians 5, once more was trotted out, and you've probably heard it a million times, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Marriage between a man and a woman, what a better metaphor could there be than it's the same as between Christ and his church. It's supposed to be a bond that's so strong and so giving and so sacrificial. But then we stop reading there. We don't read the rest of Ephesians 5. And in it, the author Paul tells us how Jesus so loves this church that he washes it and he sanctifies it to himself. He doesn't want a bride that is full of glitches and spots and has got things wrong with it. He's trying to make the church into something that he can be proud of, something that he has died for and redeemed. And by the way, this church is not the building. It's you and me. Peter understood that. He loved the Lord's church. He was going to be the rock, the leader. We, like I said before, he's the most important man in the early church of his day. He would do whatever it took for this church. It's become very popular in a lot of circles today, especially for young people to not see much relevancy in the church. That's unnecessary. It's full of bigots. It's full of people who use hateful language and so forth. And there's no doubt that throughout church history, there have been times when we have been very well deserved of such criticism perhaps even today. But that does not give us that option of identifying with God's people, with being part of that commission that only a church can do to avoid worshiping as a body. This is what the Lord loves. Jesus had no other vehicle of blessing, of miracles, of, of honor, than the church. It is what he was all about, and Peter knew that. That's what became Peter's life. He gave himself for the church. He gave himself for the Lord, but it was through the practical means of his church. We have to stand, we have to have each other's back. We have to understand that our identity is right here. And as much as we may feel as believers that there may be other ways to express the love of the Lord, there is no way of escaping from the pages of Scripture that this church is you and it's me and it's what Jesus wants it to be. We've got to work to making it the best that it can be by our faithful commission of what he lays on our heart. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this morning. I praise you for your word. I thank you, Father, for the life of Peter, how we can identify with it. God, may we love your church, even as you love it. May we just do everything that we can in our hearts and our lives to just give, Uh, give of ourselves, give of our talents, use the gifts that you bestow upon us through your Holy Spirit to just win others to you, to help those in this church that are struggling, that have a tough time with their faith, to grow. Father, our God, we thank you. We thank you for all the things you've given us. We lay this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 522